At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Friday, February 10th, 2023. I'm Guy Benson. This is The Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday. Thanks for being here. Every weekday between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern Time, GuyBensonShow.com is our website. All sorts of ways to listen live there. Also, our great affiliates all across the country. If you miss any of the live broadcasts, though, we have a podcast. It is available on demand for free every day when the show is over, plus bonus Benson on the weekends. So that's GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcasts.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm the political editor at TownHall.com, Fox News contributor, also host of this show. Here's the radio lineup today. Byron York will be here later this hour. Kat Timf, our friend, stopping by in the next hour. Boy, she's got some very exciting news in her life happening. We'll chat about that. And then Matt Napolitano is here talking Super Bowl in our final hour, the happy hour, just after 5 p.m. Eastern time. As we come on the air, we open with a Fox News alert. Just moments ago at the White House, John Kirby, spokesman at the NSC, the White House, he came out and confirmed some reports about a new development involving another object being shot down by the U.S. military. This time, it was apparently significantly smaller than the Chinese balloon that we've been talking about. And it was shot down over U.S. waters as it was entering into U.S. airspace in Alaska. So here was Kirby making the announcement in Cut 29. So I can confirm that the Department of Defense was tracking a high-altitude object over Alaska airspace in the last 24 hours. Out, uh, the, uh, the object was flying at an altitude of uh, 40,000 feet and posed a reasonable threat to the safety of civilian flight. Out of an abundance of caution and at the recommendation of the Pentagon, President Biden ordered the military to down the object. And they did. And it came in inside our territorial waters. Now, those waters right now are frozen, but inside uh, territorial uh, airspace and over territorial waters. Fighter aircraft assigned to U.S. Northern Command took down the object within the last hour. So that was basically all that we learned. Kirby was briefing for a while. What we are currently waiting for right now is a briefing at the Pentagon, which is expected to begin any moment on the news channel. They've got the the REM, as they call it, up. You can see the shot. Reporters have gathered. There's a podium. We will perhaps learn more details about what this object was. But just based on what we've heard and what we know, which is very little at this point, so many questions arise. Right, so this was an object of some sort. We've heard that is that it was at the time. I don't know if it's been blown up completely, but 
when it was flying at roughly 40,000 feet above our, our territory in our airspace, it was the size of a small car, is what they've told us. The president gave orders to shoot it down, and so we did. It happened very recently. And there's an active recovery effort now underway to go and get the remaining pieces of whatever this thing was. Now, it seemed like I was seeing on social media that at first Kirby had described it as another balloon. Then he clarified there was a clarification certainly at some point that this was not necessarily another balloon. I don't think they've ruled it out. Again, this is all just coming at us in the last few minutes. We have more questions than answers. But the White House did not say that it was a balloon. They clarified that is not what the claim was. But, again, I don't think they have said yet definitively that it wasn't. Now, we know that the previous balloon that got so much attention, this espionage spy balloon from China, was enormous. It was the size of, they told us, multiple buses. This one, clearly much, much smaller. And I asked this question not in a spirit of conspiracy at all, but I'm just curious. They had told us there were previous balloons that had not been detected over the last two administrations, right? That was something that we discovered, or at least they told us in recent days. We asked General Keene about that here. But this one was much smaller, they're telling us, but that was detected and tracked. Maybe it's because they are more vigilant. Given what just happened, maybe they have their eyes open for this sort of thing more aggressively. I guess that would make sense. Another question that might come to mind, remember they told us they didn't shoot down the balloon over Alaska because that was too dangerous. They felt like that was not the right move. In this case, they did shoot this thing down because it was determined that it posed, quote, a reasonable threat of safety to civilian flight. So I have a lot of questions. Hopefully we have some answers here. Let's go live to the Pentagon for a briefing happening right now on this incident. Object off the northern coast of Alaska at 1.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time today within U.S. sovereign airspace over U.S. territorial water. On February 9, North American Aerospace Defense Command detected an object on ground radar and further investigated and identified the object using fighter aircraft. The object was flying at an altitude of 40,000 feet and posed a reasonable threat to the safety of civilian flight. U.S. Northern Command is beginning recovery operations now. U.S. Northern Command's Alaska Command coordinated the operation with assistance from the Alaska Air National Guard, Federal Aviation Administration, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. We have no further details about the object at this time, including any description of its capabilities, purpose, or origin. The object was about the size of a small car, so not similar in size or shape to the high-altitude surveillance balloon that was taken down off the coast of South Carolina on February 4. Separately, U.S. Northern Command continues their recovery operations in support of the recent takedown of the Chinese high-altitude surveillance balloon. Recovery teams have mapped the debris field and are in the process of searching for and identifying debris on the ocean floor. Debris that's been recovered so far is being loaded onto vessels, taken ashore, cataloged, 
and then moved onwards to labs for subsequent analysis. And while I won't go into specifics due to classification reasons, I can say that we have located a significant amount of debris so far that will prove helpful to our further understanding of this balloon and its surveillance capabilities. Of note, uh, due to less than favorable sea states right now, teams will continue to conduct underwater survey and recovery as conditions permit. The department wants to thank our interagency partners from the U.S. Coast Guard, the FBI, and state and local authorities for their continuing assistance and partnership. Uh, in other news, and, and I think this is important, uh, that we remember uh, a lot of folks and uh, people in Turkey and Syria right now are, are suffering. Uh, we want to, again, express our support for the people of Turkey and Syria as they respond to the deadly earthquakes that struck there earlier this week. In support of ongoing U.S. assistance efforts spearheaded by the U.S. Agency for International Development, U.S.-European Command has positioned personnel, equipment, and a range of assets to aid the government of Turkey in its continued search and rescue efforts. This includes the U.S. Navy's George H.W. Bush Carrier Strike Group, repositioning to the eastern Mediterranean Sea to provide logistics, medical, and rotary airlift support if required. Additionally, U.S. Army Rotary Wing aircraft began flying missions out of Interlake Air Base in Turkey on February 7 to transport, transport first responders to the most affected populations. And on February 8, UH-60 Blackhawks transported injured civilians to a local medical facility. U.S. European Command has designated U.S. Naval Forces Europe and Africa as the lead component command overseeing the UCOM humanitarian assistance and disaster relief efforts within Turkey. To aid in that coordination, U.S. Marine Corps Brigadier General Andrew Pretty, U.S. Naval Amphibious Forces Europe Commander and 2nd Marine Expeditionary Brigade Commanding General, arrived in Turkey February 9 to lead military coordination, coordination efforts with U.S. agencies involved in the humanitarian aid and disaster relief efforts. We'll continue to provide you with updates as we receive them. UCOM will be issuing a press release with further details. But again, we offer our thoughts and prayers to the people of Turkey and Syria during this tragic and difficult time. And finally, Secretary Austin welcomed Canadian Minister of National Defense Anand for a bilateral meeting here in the Pentagon today. The Secretary expressed his thanks and appreciation to Minister Anand for the cooperation rendered by Canada in tracking the PRC high-altitude surveillance balloon that violated the sovereignty of both of our countries. During the meeting, both leaders reaffirmed the close defense relationship between the United States and Canada, and a readout will be available later today on defense.gov. And with that, I will take your questions. We'll start with Associated Press, Tarakat. Hi, thank you for doing this. Um, a couple of questions on this latest shoot-down. Uh, first, what type of U.S. fighter aircraft were used and what type of munition did they fire? And do you already have Navy assets or Coast Guard assets out in, involved in a recovery process? And then I have a few more. Uh, thanks, Tara. So, so the, uh, the aircraft that took down the object was an F-22 uh, flying out of uh, Joint Base Elmendorf in Alaska. Uh, it employed an AIM-9X uh, to, to take down the, the object. Uh, in terms of uh, assets that are currently involved, uh, uh, in terms of uh, recovery, uh, we have HC-130, HH-60, and CH-47 aircraft participating in that recovery effort. Okay. Uh, you mentioned there was a reasonable threat. Um, was there also a threat to potentially this object detecting some of our more sensitive radar capabilities um, that are based in Alaska? And then what hasn't been said is where 
this object has come from. Is there any indication that this was also a Chinese surveillance balloon object, whatever it is? Yeah, so at this point, uh, we don't know the origin of the object. Um, again, we will know more uh, once we're able to potentially recover some of those materials. Uh, but the primary concern, again, was the uh, potential hazard to uh, civil flight. Uh, and so, again, we'll know more later. Thank so you. No th perceived threat to any of the radar installations that we have based in Alaska? Uh, again, right now, uh, we'll, we'll know more once we assess it. Um, we'll just leave it at that. Thank you. Liz. Thanks for taking my question. Um, what made this threatening enough to shoot down? What is different about this object than the last object that was over Alaska because it was chosen not to shoot the last one down over Alaska? Yeah, so uh, you know, the important thing to understand here is anytime we detect anything, we're going to, uh, first of all, observe it and then make a decision and take appropriate action. So you have to look at each individual case on its own merits. In this particular case, uh, given the fact that it was operating at an altitude that posed a reasonable threat to civilian uh, air traffic, the determination was made and the president gave the order to take it down. Was there a specific threat, a, a specific civilian air traffic incident that could have happened? Again, out, uh, as you well know, civilian aircraft operate you know, at, a, at a variety of ranges up to 40 to 45,000 feet. So again, there was a reasonable concern that this could present a, a present uh, a threat to or a potential hazard to civilian air traffic. So let me. Question: yep. Has Secretary Austin reached out to his Chinese counterpart or any other counterparts at all uh, since this has been tracked? Since this particular object, no. Let me go here, and then I'll come over to Orn. Things from the previous balloon had been recovered. Uh, what additional information you have now about the capabilities of that balloon? Yeah, so we're continuing to assess that. Um, again, I'm not able to go into more detail other than uh, in addition to learning a lot about the balloon and the capabilities that it has while it was over the continental United States, um, we have identified uh, or located a significant amount of debris on the ocean floor that will be very beneficial to us learning more about it. But at this point in time, I'm not going to have more details. The manufacturing label on these equipments or the balloons uh, indicate that they're all manufactured in China, sourced from China? A again, I'm not going to have details to provide it at this point in time. Also say that 39, yeah, 39 other countries have, have indicated they have seen balloons in their in their territories, are you sharing those information from uh, from the Pentagon to these countries or the capabilities, how you shot, shot them down? Uh, so in terms of what we're learning about these balloons, I know the State Department has talked to this in terms of our international outreach. Uh, certainly the Department of Defense plays a role in those relationships, and so we will continue to work with our allies and partners to share information along with our State Department colleagues. Let me go to Oren. Uh, Two questions. First, did this object show any signs of maneuver maneuverability or propulsion? And then you, you and other Pentagon officials made a big deal about how much intelligence was gathered by letting the other one float across much of the United States, and yet you shot this one down before it entered the United States. Is that the Pentagon bowing to political pressure? Was there nothing to gain from this one? Yeah, so, so again, uh, we're going to judge each of these on its merits. N no indication at this time uh, that it was maneuverable, uh, but again, we'll, we'll know more. Um, and in terms of entering the United States, it did enter U.S. airspace, and we took it down. Did you gain 
intelligence from this one as you did from the previous one? We're going to recover uh, what we can from this and more to follow. And was the decision to shoot it down before it entered too far into the U.S. airspace, the Pentagon bowing to political pressure from the Hill? Uh, look, again, we're going to judge each of these objects on its own merits. It entered into U.S. airspace on February 9th. Uh, we, we sent up aircraft to assess what it was. The decision was made that it Okay, the voice that you've been listening to here is Air Force Brigadier General Pat Ryder. He's the press secretary at the Pentagon. We're learning little pieces of additional information about this incident that we're just learning of in the last hour or so. An additional object now shot down this over Alaska, having entered U.S. airspace, size of a small car, determined to have potentially posed a threat to the safety of civilian aircraft, although it was at 60,000 feet is what they're telling us, as opposed to a range where you normally hear about, uh, you know, aircraft flying, but it's unclear, although I guess this one might have been a little bit lower. So uh, this is a developing story that we are watching very closely. The Pentagon briefing continues. We're up on a break. Let's take it. We'll come back with much more on this developing story as the news breaks on The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. Fox News alert as we are covering this breaking news story. The U.S. military has announced that it shot down a high-altitude object spotted in Alaskan airspace earlier today. They've been tracking it since yesterday. The shoot-down happened around 1.45 Eastern Time, an F-22 deployed out of Alaska. U.S. Northern Command taking the lead on this. They determined that this object was unmanned. It was much smaller than the balloon that we've been talking about, the Chinese balloon. Unclear if this was a balloon. They're not telling us where they think the origin was. They say they don't know that yet. They are recovering the wreckage of this object as we speak. They have no further details. They've been pretty tight-lipped on this. They don't know about the capability, the purpose, the origin. They said it was not similar to the balloon, which is interesting. They decided that it posed a potential threat to civilian flight. I had misspoken in the first segment that I said it was at 60,000 feet at one point. That was the previous balloon. This was 40,000 feet, which is in that range of civilian aircraft. And so they decided to go and take it down over Alaskan skies earlier today. And my guess is we'll be learning a lot more about the details of this. And if it's China again, oh boy. Byron York is here next. Stay tuned. 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Back on the Guy Benson Show. Fox News Alert. We are following this story. A U.S. military fighter jet, an F-22, shot down a high-altitude object spotted in Alaskan airspace. This happened at 1.45 Eastern Time today. This object, about which we know almost nothing, was flying at an altitude of 40,000 feet. Therefore, it was determined to have posed, quote, a reasonable threat to the safety of civilian aircraft. The Pentagon, which is still briefing on this, we're monitoring, says it has no further details at this time on the capability, the purpose, or, crucially, the origin of this object, at least not yet. They are not mentioning China. They are not describing the object, except to say that it was roughly the size of a small car and that it was determined to be unmanned. That's virtually all that we know about this. And, of course, it comes on the heels of the downing of another object, in that case a very large espionage balloon that the Chinese floated across the whole country before the U.S. military shot it down over the sea off of South Carolina. That was last weekend. So you can maybe leap to some conclusions and start talking about an escalation here, what's happening if this involves China. We don't know that yet, though. We should know a lot more, hopefully, in the coming hours maybe the coming days, active recovery efforts are underway to get to this wreckage in Alaska, and then also they are still underway off the coast of South Carolina. And those efforts, we have learned today, have been paused, at least temporarily, because of difficult conditions and high seas, but they will resume, and the Pentagon is sounding upbeat that they will glean a lot more information from this debris scatter at the bottom of the sea. Joining us now is Byron York of the Washington Examiner and a Fox News contributor. Byron, welcome back to the show. Hi, Guy. Thanks to be. Good to be here. Yeah, well, thanks for rolling with us on this topic. Obviously, we didn't see this coming. This is a a big story. Uh, The Pentagon and the U.S. government did see this coming, though, at least as of yesterday. They said they were identifying and tracking this object as of February the 9th, and then down it came. Uh, The U.S. shot it down earlier this afternoon. I mean, right now, as I keep saying, we have more answers about the previous incident than we do about this one, certainly, and a lot more questions about this new shootdown than we have answers at this time. Uh, a lot of the, I would say, most pertinent questions have been deflected away with we don't know or no comments yet from the Pentagon as Pat Ryder, the Air Force Brigadier General, who's the Pentagon Press Secretary, is still briefing the media right now. Uh, Just a couple of your initial thoughts, Byron, as you're watching this all unfold. Well, the first thought is, what is this thing? Um, It it hasn't been described in any detail at all, except uh, uh, perhaps being about the size of a small car. 
Um, I don't think it's even been said definitively that it was a balloon. Uh, I don't know what it was. Uh, and the second thing is um, when the when the spy balloon was was over Alaska, we didn't shoot it down because the president was concerned about possibility of causing some casualties on the ground. Um, and so there were a number of Republicans who said, uh, gosh, why didn't you shoot it down when it was over the Aleutian Islands or over Alaska or Montana, big empty spaces? And uh, the Pentagon and the president explained that, no, that would be too dangerous. So the question is, you know, what's different in this case? Obviously, they they shot it down very quickly, uh, whereas in the other one, they waited for quite a long time. Well, the explanation, at least for now, that they're giving is that the previous balloon was floating at 60,000 feet. This one was at 40,000 feet and therefore might have interfered with civilian aircraft. That's the explanation. It's at least plausible. Whether that is uh, you know, completely the story, I don't know. I might have some doubts. By the way, that Pentagon briefing just wrapping up. So uh, we, we basically learned everything that we're going to learn, at least for the time being, in the last couple of minutes here, Byron. The, the other question that was asked, and I'm paraphrasing here, but in the briefing someone said, last time you guys wanted to monitor this thing, the balloon, you said it was actually done on purpose because you were able to glean intelligence off of the object as it crossed U.S. airspace, and therefore it was actually very helpful to not shoot it down so quickly, whereas this time you did shoot it down more quickly. Was there no similar intelligence gathering that might have occurred this time? That is a fair question, and the the context was, was this political pressure? They looked weak last time, so they shot it down faster this time. Uh, I mean, it's a reasonable, in my mind, question to ask. Uh, He kind of bypassed it and sidestepped it, but that's another one that we're going to hear, I think, cropping up until we get some further explanation on this. Yeah, well, the answer could be the answer that you you just gave about the 40,000-foot uh, explanation, which is mm-hmm. that it was a possible uh, threat to aviation. Uh, the answer could be the same, uh, but cl- clearly, look, uh, we this is happening in a context of the spy balloon episode just finishing up in which the president took a lot of criticism, including some from his own party, for letting the spy balloon travel the, the the breadth of the United States from Idaho all the way to South Carolina. And um, so they didn't do that again. Um, there There is a political context to this. But if the, if the Pentagon just ex- explains everything that happens um, – uh, it may be totally fine, but I, I think the, the bigger question is, you know, what is it? I mean, it, mm-hmm. the, the Chinese just got through doing what they did with the spy balloon. Is this Chinese? Is it somebody else's? Uh, is it a is it is it a, a nation state? I mean, it sounds like a fairly sizable object. Uh, we we don't have any of that. It's just it's just a UFO up there that we've shot down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally for now in the minds of most Americans, an unidentified flying object that's no longer flying. It has been identified to some extent by people in the know. They're not sharing that information with us just yet. I do want to come back to the previous balloon and the China angle in just a moment, but we've got just breaking news all over the place here. So just very quickly, let's hit a Fox News alert. I just want to bring you a few more pieces of information that we are just learning in the last few minutes. Number one, At the White House, Corrine Jean-Pierre announced that President Biden will be going to Poland February 20th through 22nd, ahead of the one-year anniversary of Russia's 
invasion of Ukraine. So he's going over there to show solidarity. Uh, I think that that's an appropriate thing for him to do. I'm glad he's doing that. President Biden to Poland later on this month in just about 10 days from right now. Also getting this, uh, Fox's David Spunt reporting that there was an FBI search at the home of former Vice President Mike Pence earlier today. This is connected to the broader investigation into classified documents. We've seen an issue at Mar-a-Lago, an issue multiple places with Joe Biden, and then also at this Indiana home of Mike Pence. And in the search today... The report is one additional document with classified markings was recovered at that home. Six other pages without classified markings were also collected. So I just wanted to bring that news to you as we got it, make sure that we didn't have that slide off before we addressed it. Byron York, our guest of the Washington Examiner, also a Fox News contributor. And Byron, let's talk about China because let's just say, and I understand this is speculation and we have to be careful about it, if, 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 this object turns out to be Chinese, because at least for now, the Pentagon says we don't know about the capability, we don't know the purpose of this thing, and they don't know the origin. That's what they're telling us, at least publicly. If it turns out to have been China again, I mean, that would be pretty brazen of the CCP, given what just happened. You'd think they might want to back off, at least for a while. Um, you know, That's another thing that popped up in my mind as soon as I saw this breaking news cross. Yeah, I mean, exactly. My first thought, if it's Chinese, that's, that's pretty damn aggressive. Um, now, it, also, because there is, it seems to be, a lot of post-mortem investigation after the spy balloon matter, not just on our side, but on their side as well, determining what was what was lost, what is the U.S. recovering uh, from, their, uh, from their balloon. So, uh, you know, it, I, I don't know, but we have learned – in relation to the spy balloon episode, that China has launched a lot of, of balloons, uh, perhaps not all identical to the 200-foot balloon that uh, crossed the United States, and um, they have a very aggressive program here. So uh, if it turns out to be Chinese, uh, I think we can all confirm that, yes, they have a very aggressive program here. And you know what? On that point... I think there have been a number of jokes about the balloon and just really the mention of a giant balloon. It almost sounds kind of whimsical, right? And and the seriousness of it might be slightly diminished because of, like, the shape of it and filled with air. It's, you know, it, it doesn't look or sound or feel necessarily as menacing as some other uh, aircraft could, right? I, I think that's a fair point. However, we're learning more about this balloon. The New York Times had this report earlier today. Let me just read from this New York Times story, Byron, and get your reaction, because I think there were a few eyebrow raisers, at least for me, in this story. Quote, the State Department document in question here, this is based on data the New York Times gathered, said that the downed balloon's array of antennas was, quote, likely capable of collecting and geolocating communications while its solar panels were large enough to produce power to operate, quote, multiple active intelligence collection sensors. Intelligence agencies have concluded that the antennas were capable of locating communications devices, including mobile phones and radios, and collecting data from them, U.S. officials say. They do not know exactly what kinds of devices were being targeted, according to these officials. And listen to this. Radio frequencies 
can be detected by orbital satellites. Mobile phone signals are harder to detect from space, but reach as high as where the balloon was drifting, 60,000 feet. Intelligence agencies do not yet know, according to these officials, whether the balloon was supposed to fly over parts of the United States, including over nuclear sites, or was blown off course or suffered mechanical failure. So a lot of information there, but one little tidbit is, you know, is it really a coincidence? I think a lot of people in the intelligence, in the intelligence business, rather, don't believe in coincidences. They would say, okay, you can get some information from satellites, but you can't necessarily track or tap into cell phones from outer space, but you can from 60,000 feet, which is where that balloon was, with all these multiple antennas. Uh, I mean, that, that gives us another aspect, or at least a potential one, to last week's whole episode. Yeah, and I, I, I think this was actually coming clear last week, which was the, the, the idea of a balloon, which you point out seems kind of funny or quaint, um, just out, outdated as you know, the 19th century or something. Actually, it's a pretty practical way to, to conduct this sort of surveillance, especially if the country you're spying on lets you fly it all the way across the United States. Um, but but it, it sounds to me like the, the like the balloon actually has some advantages over a satellite um, as far as intelligence gathering and signals intelligence gathering is concerned. The big problem, of course, is the the country under surveillance may may object to a 200 foot balloon floating across the uh, entire country, which we did not do for. What was it, four or five days in that episode? Right, until it became publicly known and media was reporting on it. People were spotting it, you know, with their own eyes. You know, it, it was that big. And, Byron, one other thing that you and I had talked about on Special Report when we were on the panel together last week and also in the green room when we were preparing, almost as soon as this story burst into public view, the, the spy balloon, the administration came out and said, well, actually, there were a few more of these things that floated over U.S. airspace during the last administration and also one during this administration, but we did not know that at the time. They were not detected at the time, but we've been able to go back and and find them and determine that that did, in fact, take place. I asked General Jack Keane about that last week uh, on the show or earlier this week on the show, and he said, yep, that was that was entirely possible given our intelligence capabilities. I know that some people are probably asking not only the question of, okay, a versus B, what happened last time versus this time. I know the Pentagon is urging us to take each incident on its own merits. He said that, the spokesman, multiple times. But it's impossible not to at least put them side by side because they happened side by side. And this one was a lot smaller. I mean, a fraction of the size of that balloon, which was, as I have said a few different times, reportedly the size of multiple buses combined. This one the size of a small car. People wondering, okay, we, we didn't catch or detect previous presumably large balloons, but this was a much smaller object, and we, and we did see this. I'm not saying that there's anything that, that doesn't necessarily add up here. Uh, they could certainly have been more, more vigilant and more concerned about this sort of thing because of what happened, in light of what happened uh, over the last two weeks or so. But when you juxtapose... Whatever this incident was with the last incident, um, people are going to naturally start drawing those comparisons and asking questions about, well, if you did this then, why not do the same thing here? And 
I guess there's not a great way to answer the questions from our standpoint yet, Byron. It's all conjecture because we just don't really know nearly enough to comment intelligently about that. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, the briefings have started on Capitol Hill as all sorts of members of Congress get briefed on this. And it's changed. What I've learned about those has changed my thinking a little bit. I originally thought there were only two possibilities. We either uh, missed the earlier balloons, just didn't know they were there, um, which was a real indictment of our military intelligence gathering capabilities, or we actually saw the balloons or detected the balloons, and the civilian leadership did excuse me the military leadership did not tell the civilian leadership about it at the time. That was even worse um, so, yeah, both were really bad case scenarios. Now there is a third scenario being talked about, which is that the our, our sort of vast information gathering capabilities uh, detected all this stuff, uh, the the balloons as they were happening, but they're not real. The information is not really assessed, gone through, gleaned uh, until a significant time later. So you don't know what you've got in terms of intelligence until. Right. Some possible, some long. Right, so that that's sort of door number three, which would make some sense, and that's again just a guess, and it seems likely to be the case in this particular instance that you're talking about. So many question marks here surrounding the new incident, as this unidentified object shot down just earlier today over Alaska. Byron York, Washington Examiner, Fox News contributor. Always appreciate it, Byron. Thank you very much. Thank you, guy. So with this breaking news, we have to take a break. We're up on it. We'll take it. Stay with us on The Guy Benson Show. Guy Benson will be right back. Back on The Guy Benson Show, and we are following big breaking news and a Fox News alert. If you're just tuning in, the U.S. military has shot down a high-altitude object, origin, purpose, unknown at this time, spotted over Alaskan airspace. They've been tracking it since yesterday. They took it down earlier this afternoon, and that's about all we know. It was traveling in a northeastern direction. That's one new detail. It was the size of a small car, and that's it. The reason they shot it down, they said, was the altitude, 40,000 feet, could have posed a reasonable threat to civilian aircraft. That's what we've got. We're following it on The Guy Benson Show. Another hour coming up. Cat Temp joining us when we return. Don't go anywhere. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. A brand new hour on the Guy Benson Show underway on this Friday. Thanks for tuning in. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. Podcast is free every day on demand, including bonus Benson on the weekends. Fox News alert. The Dow finishes the week in the green on this Friday, up 169 points today, closing out at 33,869. Another Fox News alert. We're following this story closely as the U.S. military shooting down early this afternoon an unidentified object flying over Alaska. They've been tracking it since yesterday, 
and the president ordered for it to be shot down because it was determined to pose a reasonable threat to civilian aircraft. No additional details yet on the capability, purpose, or origin of this item, but it was determined to be unmanned. That's what they decided. There was uh, no, no people operating this thing, and it was the size of roughly, the estimate is, a small car. Our colleague Jennifer Griffin making a point a moment ago on Fox News Channel that I think is kind of an elementary one, but one that is still important to underscore. She said, look, they've been watching this thing for 24 hours very closely. And the United States military, the the Department of Defense, doesn't just blow things out of the sky for no reason. And, uh, I mean, yes, and they decided that it needed to happen this time. So... Details still relatively scant here. They're not giving us much, but we've reported everything that we can thus far and will continue to watch it. Joining us now from New York on a very separate note, Kat Tim, <laughs> Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld! Exclamation point, and author of a brand new book forthcoming out in April, the 18th to be specific, entitled You Can't Joke About That. Why everything is funny, nothing is sacred, and we're all in this together. Again, it's out April 18th, but crucially, you can pre-order right now, mm-hmm. and I encourage you to do that as a, a someone who has written a book myself uh, years ago with Mary Catherine Ham. They really get on you with the pre-orders. Mm-hmm. It's a big, big deal for authors, and it would really help Kat and her book sales to order now. And you can pre-order it. And my understanding, Kat, is things are going really well on that front so far is what I've seen, Mm -hmm. which is very exciting. Welcome back to the show. Congratulations on this project. I know we've been talking about it offline for a while now, but now the world knows. Yes. And and the world knows that the book exists. It's going to get even crazier, honestly, when the book comes out. Uh, And a lot... A lot of the things that I talk about in the book come out. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really do encourage people to pre-order, you know, for my sake, yes, but also for yours. Because if you don't, when everybody's talking about some of this stuff, you're going to want the rest of the tea. And you're going to be like, oh, no, I didn't pre-order. Now I have to wait a couple of days to get the rest of this or that story that people are going to be talking about in the book. Because the book is, you know, a pro-free speech book. It is a pro-comedy book. It is. Uh, makes the point that it's not only that we can joke about whatever we want, it's that we should joke about the darkest, uh, most traumatic, the stuff they tell you not to joke about is the stuff that we should be joking about the most because of the healing power that comedy provides and the way that it can bring us all together as human beings. Yeah, and I mean, you haven't shied away from this in your career. Mm -mm. You will sometimes say things that even make me sort of just, you know, uh, Yes. Uh, on the air about, you know, you, you lost your mother years ago. I did, and I did it will... again in today. I <laughs> did the show that will air tonight. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, so. and they yelled at the audience. They're like, oh, I was like, listen, like, you guys didn't all just kill her. Like, I already knew she was dead. She was dead before and after I said that. Like, also, like, I knew her and you didn't. So if this, like, helps me, let me have that. So, I mean, I'd imagine that will be a part of this book, plus yes. so much more. Yes. You can't joke about that by Kat Timpf. Her first book. April 18th, please do pre-order. You're going to want to hear some of this stuff. And I was watching the rollout of this announcement on Gutfeld, and the way that you guys did it. This was my uh, idea. I have to have to take full credit for this. No, literally as soon as I saw it, I'm like, Kat absolutely came up with this because it's it's far too demented for it (laughs) to have been not Kat. Uh, Here's what it sounded like. Here's how Greg rolled it out. Just listen to Cut 30. Story in five words. Kat. 
is having a baby. And, and by baby, I mean a new book. Yeah. <laughs> This was harder to make than a baby. <laughs> true. Also true. So the audience, bless their hearts, truly. <laughs> we're so happy for you. I know. And this outpouring of joy and applause. Oh, she's going to be a mother. And then it's just like, just kidding. She has a book for you to buy. Yes. A mother of a book. I, I, I love some, the switch. some of the tweets. Someone named Linda was like, I really was hope. I really wish you were pregnant. And I'm like, Linda, if you're listening, I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you can buy my book. You on can buy my right book. Now. Yeah, like <laughs> babies are expensive, so if you want ha- me to have a baby, then you gotta you gotta buy my book. But also, my favorite was somebody commented saying, "I was thinking about what should I make for your baby, but I guess I could knit a book cover." <laughs> <laughs> and the book cover, by the way, is awesome. Thank you. It is I because you showed it to me a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, this is very perfect, like super on brand. I'm pulling it up right now. It's cat in like a leather jacket, mm-hmm. and you're sitting there cross-legged on a coffin, correct? Holding like a stand-up comics microphone, and it's just sort of like drooping down because you're holding it by the wire. And it appears that you have a beer as well. Is yes, it a beer? yes, okay. it's also a beer. So that's the look, and you've got kind of um, how would you describe your facial expression here, cat? Is it? It's not really a scowl or a smirk. It's sort of it's like between. whoops. It's like whoopsie. Yeah. Did I you do know, that type thing? It, it's the face that I would make after somebody tells me you can't joke about that. Yep. And you and you just made the joke and people are like throwing rotten fruit at you. Yeah. And you just don't care. Yes. That's the, that is the facial expression. The one last thing I'll ask you, because of, of course, A, I'm going to get the book. B, we're going to talk about it at length on the year when of, it comes out in April. C, we're going to just beat the drum relentlessly about pre-orders. But before we move on from the topic today, last night on Gutfeld, when you uh, revealed that, in fact, no, it's it's not a baby, it's a book, Greg was talking, this is a very weird way to to really promote a book, I would say, Uh, but it, it, again, works very well for you. Uh, He kept going on about how disgusting the book is. A chapter. He said one chapter in particular is truly disgusting. Yes. that's kind of that's kind of weird. That's a very strong word. Well, you, I, I mean, we're not unveiling what that chapter is about, but it's about something I went through. That I, I think I might. Know. You know, yes, you know because because we're close friends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, like you were at my thirty person wedding. Like you know, we're close friends. But <laughs> most people, even in my life, don't know that I went through this. And it's one of those things that I wrote about candidly. You know, I'm, I'm walking the walk. I'm not just talking the talk. And I make mm-hmm. a lot of jokes. And, and jokes help get me through this experience, mm-hmm. which is truly disgusting. And you, everybody, this is one of the things where this, there probably will be headlines about the fact that this happened to me and I never told mm-hmm. anybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're, it is truly disgusting, but people, you're, you're, you're going you're to want to know more about it. <laughs> Greg told me he read that sh- one chapter like six times maybe I there was a while when I shared some of you know the book with him and you know some of the editing stages and he I, I would ask him what is he doing he'd be like I'm reading chapter six again <laughs> so that's also a very strange commentary on him because yeah. he was going on and on about how gross and disgusting it is and yet he can't get enough of it yes He's like hang on I'm gonna go read this for a seventh time yes just just for blanks and giggles so yes. to speak 
Uh, so I cannot wait for this. I know that you and I have had a few very preliminary conversations when you were in the writing and editing process. Like I have tiny little snapshots of some of the stuff, but I, I really have no idea what's going to hit me when I read this thing from start to finish, from cover to cover. I'll be doing that hopefully with an advanced copy. But the book comes out April 18th. Please do pre-order now. Cat Timp, the book is called. You can't joke about that. Okay, a couple minutes left here in the segment, Cat. I also want to ask you, it's a very busy week for you. Yes. Like there's a lot of things happening in the life and times of Cat Timp. You are in a Super Bowl ad. Yeah. <laughs> like, we buried that lead. Like, I, I, I know the, the book is a bigger deal, but Super Bowl ads are seen by, what, like nine figures? Yes. People, like 100 million people or whatever. So you don't have a line in the ad. You do have a shrug and a facial expression. We have the ad. It's 15 seconds. It's very short. And the, the sort of the premise is it's going to be a promotional ad for Greg as the new king of late night, he's dressed as a king in like this medieval castle. You and Tyrus are part of his court. Yep. And this is the ad. Let's listen to cut 26. Gutfell, new king of late night commercial, ready to roll. Isn't this great? Is this cultural appropriation? <laughs> Action. Hello, America. That's a wrap. What? Sorry, these ads are pricey. And then it says Gutfeld, weeknights at 11, Fox News Channel. You are in like, uh, like a, a lady's. A maid. I'm a maiden. A, a maiden's dress at the time. Yes. Um, and there's a question about cultural appropriation. You shrug it off. So it's very fleeting, but it was still kind of thrilling to see a friend in a freaking Super Bowl ad. I know, but you know, I'm I'm excited. You know who I'm excited to see it more than my friends, obviously, my enemies. Sure. Yeah. You know the mm-hmm. people who haven't thought about Cat in a long time. You know, so it's like a very spiteful motivation, yeah. as, as usual. Yeah, spite is don't like. I know that you ha- wear your little J Crew and you got your little smile, but don't act like you've never been motivated by spite. <laughs> I mean, pretty rarely. That's it's not a really, human thing. It is. It is. It's more so for certain humans, though, <laughs> such as yourself. Uh, we only have a few seconds left. How long did that fifteen-second ad take to film? A whole day. Yep, that a was my guess. A whole entire day and i've never in my life worn that much hair <laughs> every piece of hair that i own was clipped into my head that day well i mean you have to you have to bring out the big guns for the super bowl of course to be clear cat Timp, our guest you can watch Gutfeld tonight every week night 11 p.m eastern you can see the super bowl ad on sunday featuring cat and others and then pre-order the book you can't joke about that Available everywhere April the 18th. Kat, awesome stuff. Talk to you soon. Congrats on all the things. Thank you. We'll take a break. We'll come right back. So much more news to get to on the Guy Benson Show. And it's all straight ahead. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. In a story that hasn't gotten a ton of coverage nationally, Senator John Fetterman, brand-new senator from Pennsylvania, he's been hospitalized this week after feeling very lightheaded at a Democratic retreat. So he went to the hospital. He was in hospital for a while. Last I checked, I think he was still there. And that just sort of dovetails with a story in the New York Times entitled Fetterman, Recovering After Stroke, Labors to Adjust to Life, In the Senate, the first-term Democrat is adapting to Congress while coping with the lasting effects of a near-fatal stroke. It talks about how people are trying to accommodate him 
and adapting some of the Senate practices to make it easier for him, but it has not been easy at all. The story says his adjustment to serving in the Senate has been made vastly more difficult by the strains on his recovery, which left him with a physical impairment and serious mental health challenges that have rendered the transition extraordinarily challenging, even with the accommodations that have been made to help him adapt. The story goes on later to say the most evident disability is a neurological condition that impairs his hearing. Mr. Fetterman suffers from auditory processing issues, forcing him to rely primarily on a tablet to transcribe what is being said to him. The hearing issues are inconsistent. They often get worse when he is in a stressful or unfamiliar situation. When it's bad, Mr. Fetterman has described it as trying to make out the muffled voice of the teacher in the Peanuts cartoon, whose words could never be deciphered. That's what he's hearing. Now, look, I hope that he recovers from whatever this lightheadedness is. Doctors say it doesn't look like it was another stroke. Clearly, he has lasting serious effects from that stroke. And they were not really, I would say, fully transparent about it. And they pushed him back out there on the campaign trail pretty soon. And there are people now arguing that it was too soon, that he was forced back out there And I remember when people were actually raising those exact same issues and concerns about this and questions at the time, everyone in the media, for the most part, rallied to his defense and said, oh, this is ableism, this is mean-spirited to ask these questions. Remember the one journalist who just revealed the extent to which they had to, like, transcribe words and the whole setup just to conduct the interview and how he was having trouble hearing and responding in like private chit chat and Fetterman's wife like basically called her a liar and said she should be fired or disciplined and the left pounced all over this journalist just for telling the truth remember all of that they were gaslighting us hard because there was an election to be won it's that simple it seems like the physical health and well-being of this man after a very serious medical incident was secondary to winning an election. And if that meant misleading, withholding, attacking anyone who might ask questions, treating those questions like they're illegitimate, that's what it took. I mean, clearly they were willing to go there. Now, it doesn't seem likely that this was in his best interest for his recovery, but this is what they chose to do. And I guess if they were prioritizing an electoral victory, they got their way because he won. He banked, what, hundreds of thousands of votes before that infamous debate with Dr. Oz, where it was clear that his struggles were extremely serious. But he ended up winning by, what was it, three or four points? People of Pennsylvania chose this guy. And to me, the biggest objection to him wasn't just the health issues and some of the concerns surrounding that. Much more so to me, it was his entire record of being just sort of this deadbeat guy and basically a socialist. I thought he should have been nowhere near the U.S. Senate, Then his lack of cognitive ability and these struggles sort of just compounded everything. And yet, I guess people decided with Doug Mastriano leading the ticket in Pennsylvania, getting blown out, Dr. Oz having some likability problems and low favorability that he had to climb out of that hole and never quite got there, they sent this man instead to the U.S. Senate. By the way, Dr. Oz, according to local media in Pennsylvania, he flew over to Turkey And he's been in Turkey and in Syria providing medical assistance 
to victims of that massive, horrible earthquake that has killed tens of thousands of people. So that's what Oz is up to. Caring for people as he has his whole life. Fetterman is struggling to adjust to the Senate for the reasons that we just outlined. And perhaps the people of Pennsylvania are still perfectly comfortable with their choice. I wonder if there's any buyer's remorse given what we're seeing. I don't know. But we hope Fetterman can fully recover. But it's it's looking pretty bleak in some respects in terms of the, this long-term effect or effects, multiple, that the stroke had on him. And they were not fully truthful about this along the path by design. And they tried to make it seem extremely untoward, unsavory, unseemly, unkind to raise any of the issues on the campaign trail. And at least, as far as we know, this man will be trying to serve in the Senate in this state for the next six years in this condition. On a personal level, you've got to wish him the absolute best and his family. On a political level, I stand by my assessment of this race prior to the vote. Put it that way. The Guy Benson Show returns right after this short break. Please stay tuned. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Midway point on this Friday, it's the Guy Benson Show. So I don't know what is going on in Northern Virginia in some of these public school systems in these blue counties. We've been talking about these scandals in Fairfax County and Loudoun County. Just a refresher, Fairfax County and now a few other counties are going through this investigation at the hands of the Attorney General in Virginia given the revelation at first denied and then excused, and the whole story's been unraveling, about the withholding of information from parents and students who had received, the students had, these academic accolades. And for equity reasons, we're still trying to get to the bottom of exactly what happened, how widespread the problem was, exactly who made these decisions and why, but the fact is crucial information was kept from these students and their families as they were applying for colleges in a way that was, at least for some of them, tangibly damaging. So that's Fairfax County and that scandal. In Loudoun County, you might remember the Democrats back in 2021, including Barack Obama, Terry McAuliffe, all turning their nose up, rolling their eyes about trumped-up culture wars from Glenn Youngkin. That was the claim, based on the very real story of someone who has now been convicted of raping girls at two different high schools in Loudoun County. And because it was a non-binary or trans student who was accused of the crimes and then convicted of the crimes, the school district, it seemed, wanted to bury the story because it conflicted with other trans-related policies that they were trying to implement. That would have maybe complicated the matter. They didn't want to deal with it. So not only did they bury it, they actively lied about it. There was a cover-up. And after a special investigation, there were people fired, And there are people charged with crimes in Loudoun County. Well, sticking around in Loudoun County, this is just an extraordinary story. Although at this point, does it surprise anyone? Here's the headline from Channel 7 locally in D.C. Loudoun parents say daughter sexually assaulted by teacher. And that Title IX office made mistakes. This is from Ashburn, Virginia. 
After 11 months of fighting for accountability, two Loudoun County parents are breaking their silence after they say their daughter and another female student, at least one, were allegedly sexually harassed and sexually assaulted by a teacher at Stonebridge High School. The parents told 7 News that they've been going through the Title IX process at LCPS for almost a year. These parents say they even reached out to their school board member, someone named Harris Madavi, for help. The family says their school board member has, quote, done nothing. So the story gets into details about very inappropriate touching and talking from a teacher. These parents have been trying to get accountability, as you heard, for almost a year, and it's just been slow walked. And when they reached out to one of their school board members, I guess they're just getting nothing back from the guy. I tell you what, some of these school boards are up for re-election in the fall. They need to clean house in some of these places. I don't know what is going on in Loudoun County. And you would think they would be hyper-vigilant about this kind of thing in light of the previous scandal and cover-up involving alleged sexual assault in that same district, but here we are. Meanwhile, I do want to tie this into our monologue yesterday around this time. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. I read at length from a story published at the Free Press, which is Barry Weiss's new organization, news outlet. And it was written by, this was an expose, written by a woman who describes herself as a queer woman married to a trans man whose politics are to the left of Bernie Sanders who worked at a pediatric gender clinic, quote-unquote, in St. Louis for years. And what she saw was extremely disturbing. And she came to realize there was no good medicine or scientific evidence for a lot of the things that were being done to children that were irreversible and had very significant side effects. And when she was asking questions about this or objected at all, she was reprimanded, she faced sort of disciplinary action in the form of poor performance reviews. She was told to get in line or get out and shut up, basically. And so she decided to get out and not shut up. And now there's an investigation underway in Missouri because this left-wing woman blew the whistle and red flagged this thing to the very conservative attorney general in the state because she said, I don't care if he's a Republican and a conservative and I'm a progressive. That doesn't matter when it comes to the well-being of children. So one of the components of her piece, and I've written about it at townhall.com today. You can go read that. I linked to her piece extensively. I've tweeted about it. We talked about it here. I think that we have to speak up on this stuff, especially involving children. And I know sometimes the pressure is, especially for someone like me in the LGBT community, is to just be quiet and say, oh, well, if you're critical of something here, you're being a bad ally and you're giving ammunition to people who hate all of us. I mean, I've heard it all. But I think it's incumbent on those of us who care about this stuff and want dignity and equality and all these things. When it goes way too far, we just say so. And having this junk science foisted upon children who can't really make great decisions, some of these parents seem to be forcing some of this along. I mean, it's just crazy. Go back and read the story or listen to our monologue about it yesterday. But parental involvement, parental rights, huge elements of this problem. And thus, here's another story out of Virginia, 
This is from the Daily Caller. This happened earlier in the week. The Virginia State House, so the House of Delegates, voted by a razor-thin margin, 50 to 48, to pass legislation called Sage's Law. The bill bars teachers from hiding a student's gender identity from parents. The bill also clarifies that a parent, quote-unquote, misgendering their child cannot be equated legally to child abuse. Now, you might say, why was this law being introduced in the first place? Well, because Democrats in Virginia, one prominently, introduced a bill that very much would have at least opened the door pretty wide to conflating parents not wanting to go along with their child's new pronouns or what have you, and child abuse that could be referred to the state. So here's a Republican bill saying, no, misgendering your own child is not child abuse. And also, no, school officials, teachers, they cannot hide gender transitions or gender identity from students' parents. And that bill passed by two votes, 50 to 48. It was that close. It's like a partisan issue now. Should parents have a right to know about something massive happening in their child's life? Shouldn't schools have to have some obligation not to keep secret from parents this kind of information and hiding it deliberately from parents? And also this idea that, you know, the misgendering thing, it's just crazy. The bill, in case you're wondering, Sage's Law, named after a teenage girl who was sex trafficked and raped after the state removed her from her parents' custody over misgendering. Sage's school had hidden her new male identity from her parents, even as Sage was being abused in the men's bathroom that she now used. So her mother testified before the subcommittee in Virginia, and it became this living nightmare for this individual and their family. So Republicans introduced a law. This seemed just extremely basic. Based on not some fabricated, made-up thing, but an actual experience of a child in Virginia, following on the previous legislation that I mentioned that was introduced by a Democrat, and then they quickly rescinded it and pulled it back because the blowback was enormous. But this didn't come out of nowhere. Right? This, again, isn't someone looking for a culture war just to gin up panic over nothing. This was legislatively responsive to an actual ordeal that played out in Virginia. So that's what's going on in the state where I live. Relatedly, one more similar story, National Review has it today. Headline, Maine Mom, so the state of Maine, Maine mom demands investigation after school counselor secretly gives daughter a chest binder. It was early December when Amber Levine found her 13-year-old daughter's chest binder. The undergarment, used to flatten a female's breasts to make her appear more like a male, looked like a tank top with a built-in bra, she said. It smelled bad. In her efforts to hide it from her family, Levine's daughter hadn't put the binder in the laundry for weeks. That night when Levine picked her daughter up from a school dance, she asked if she was wearing a chest binder. She wasn't, the girl said, but she admitted she had one. Where had she gotten it? From a friend, she claimed. Levine was skeptical. 
Later that night, Levine's daughter had more to share. She hadn't received the chest binder from a friend at all. This came from my school, she said. Levine would later learn that earlier in the year, without her knowledge, her daughter had been reassigned to a new social worker at a community school in Maine. The social worker, she learned, had been advising her daughter about gender transitioning. He had provided her daughter with the chest binder, telling the girl that he wouldn't tell her mother and she didn't need to either. She also learned that school personnel had been involved in socially transitioning her daughter, referring to her by a new name and male pronouns. No one had bothered to notify Ms. Levine, the parent. Look, I understand some of this can be complicated. It can be messy. I dare say that the vast majority of Americans can look at this type of stuff and say this is crazy and out of control. We can have, I hope, civil empathetic, compassionate, respectful conversations about trans people, trans adults, restrooms, preferred pronouns, not jumping down each other's throats, not butchering the English language in crazy ways. Like, there's a way to live and let live on some of this stuff, which I generally support. But we are talking about minors. We are talking about children. Our government does not allow people this age to buy cigarettes, to buy alcohol, or to vote. That's not an accident. That's not arbitrary. Their brains aren't developed yet fully. But this type of stuff? I mean, a lot of the transitions and the hormones and the surgeries, I mean, that stuff is being done based on scant to no evidence to the extent that some Western progressive countries elsewhere across the ocean in Europe... They are, like, putting this car into reverse because they are seeing the damage being done with very little actual objective support in terms of, like, data and studies and careful review. You think we should be really careful about this kind of thing. And as we're learning from this whistleblower that I mentioned earlier, we talked about yesterday, uh, it is the opposite of that in many cases. Now you've got this stuff, the close vote in Virginia – Then the very closely related story in Maine, we've got a school transitioning a kid without her parents' knowledge, including giving her articles of clothing known as chest binders to help her look more like a boy. And only when the parent accidentally discovered this thing provided by the school did the story come out. It's a 13-year-old. This is not acceptable this is not okay and i would hope this would be like you know a 90 to 10 issue percentage wise in the country where we might disagree on certain things related to lgbt policy and all of that but not this stuff so you might say you know why have you spent so much time on this yesterday two segments now another segment today isn't this weird scapegoating culture war absolutely not i'm not here banging an anti-trans drum i'm saying parental rights involving children and being careful and actually making sure there is science to follow these things should be paramount involving minors and so far it really seems like adults and their agendas are winning the day in some of these places And that should be absolutely rejected collectively in our society. We'll take a break. We'll come right back. It's The Guy Benson Show. Please stay tuned. The Guy Benson Show. More next. 
It's the Guy Benson Show. Welcome back. There are reports that the Biden administration is looking at maybe altering and significantly changing. They're even describing it as an overhaul of the asylum-seeking process in this country to perhaps put a further dent in the border crisis. Now, it's unclear exactly what it's going to look like, and it appears that Congress would need to be involved here, although I saw Senator John Cornyn saying, has the administration consulted anyone in Congress on this, or are they just going to announce a proposal and then just, like, handing the football off to Congress? So let's wait and see on that. But obviously what's happening is not working. The Reuters story that I read suggested that Biden might want to at least look tougher on the border because he is expected to run for re-election. And all of a sudden, the border crisis might start to matter to him politically. And so then they might at least try to pretend to care about it because it might turn out to be in his political interest. They've had absolutely no interest in fixing the problem or even slowing down the problem. They have exacerbated the problem at every turn. And now here's this story. Earlier in the week, Bill Malugin had this exclusive. Listen to this. The Biden administration is significantly reducing the number of aerostats, these are surveillance blimps, being used to monitor the overwhelmed southern border, with multiple sources telling Fox News that it is due to a lack of funding, with a majority already being taken out of service. Last year, there were 12 such aerostats, nicknamed Eyes in the Sky, by CBP along the southern border. Sources tell Fox that only four remain, and all of them now are in the Rio Grande Valley sector. These air and marine balloons are used for the detection and monitoring along the southern border of people crossing illegally. So it's at the border and coastal regions. So the claim is they had 12 going last year. Now it's down to four, so two-thirds of them gone. And they're saying it's because there's just not enough funding to keep them operational. I do not believe that for a second. Right, Our taxpayer dollars go toward, what is it, five, taking out even all the COVID emergency spending, $5 trillion a year for the federal government, DHS with a massive budget, and they can't keep some eye-in-the-sky blimps floating because the budget's too tight? What are they spending this money on? Certainly not enforcing the border other ways. I think that's an absolute excuse that makes no sense at all. If you ask me, and it's cynical, but I think it's probably true, these are the eyes in the sky that are capturing a lot of the images of known gotaways. That's how we have those specific numbers, gotaways that we know exist. I think they want to bring down the known gotaway statistic by reducing the number of ways we can actually identify them. So if you can't see them, then they don't count in the stats. They become unknown gotaways, which is not quantifiable, and therefore not as politically embarrassing for the administration. That's what this is about, I guarantee you. The funding is absurd as an excuse. Republicans can call the bluff. Narrow bill. Restoring the funding. Whatever it takes, only for this, pass it tomorrow. And when the Democrats fight it or kill it in the Senate or it gets vetoed, there you have your answer. Politics, 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 all the way down on this border crisis from this administration, this gang. It just continues to be outrageous. And they're going to try to fool you by fudging and manipulating the stats rather than fixing the problem. This is incredible. Final hour of the Guy Benson Show coming up straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. So much to get to as soon as we come back.
It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It's the happy hour on this Friday on the Guy Benson Show. Almost of the weekend together. Thank you for tuning in. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. You can catch our podcast there or at FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Always free, always on demand when the show is over. Plus, bonus Benson on the weekends. You can follow us, social media, at Guy Benson Show on Twitter and Instagram. On those same two platforms, Twitter and Instagram, you can follow me personally as well while you're at it, at Guy P. Benson. This hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Delicious. In fact, I was proselytizing about it down in North Carolina last evening after the event that I was speaking at. It's delicious. I'm a huge fan. I would be even if they didn't sponsor the show, but luckily they do as well. So it's a double bonus. TheLongDrink.com. That's their website. You can find out where they're sold near you. You can order online. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only. Joining us now from New York, Matt Napolitano, Fox News Radio anchor and reporter. Matt, good to have you back. Great to be with you, Guy. All right. So Super Bowl weekend upcoming, all the festivities building toward Sunday evening. It's, of course, the national broadcast on Fox. You've got the Chiefs and the Eagles. Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs quarterback, was just named 2022 NFL MVP ahead of the Super Bowl. And I guess that'd be 22-23. In any case, is that going to be enough? Is Patrick Mahomes and his crazy talent going to be enough to overcome the Eagles, who have been playing extremely well? You know, Mahomes has had an incredible season, and considering the fact that we've seen him suffer such a tremendous injury to his ankle during these playoffs and be able to almost shrug it off and overcome throughout the entirety of the postseason, he's looking pretty good going into this. You know, the Chiefs did not have an easy road so far. The Jaguars gave them a challenge. The Bengals really gave them a challenge in the AFC Championship. It really came down to that final penalty that really set up the field goal that won it for KC and got him back in the big game. Philadelphia, they've had it pretty easy. I know you don't want to hear it. I know you're a Giants fan, but, you know, the Eagles made easy work of the Giants. The Eagles were able to make easy work of the Niners, too, because, well, the Niners played without a quarterback for a majority of that NFC championship. But the Chiefs right now come in with a chip on their shoulder and the fact that Mahomes comes in with that title. But this is going to be a close contest. I mean, right now we're looking at one of the closest spreads in Super Bowl history at one and a half points. Yeah, I mean, look. I'm not that mad about you mentioning the Giants because the Giants had to throw it in there. Improved. No, because, I mean, look, they were horrible, and now they were looking not necessarily very good, but good enough to make the playoffs. And the strides under the new, you know, the new management, uh, the uh, new coaching new coach staff. Of the year, yeah. Yep, I mean, there, there's no doubt about that, and they're heading in the right direction. So, like, if you had told me preseason the Giants are going to the playoffs, I would have been very skeptical. So for them to get there... And to win a game, yeah. right, and then to get blown out, sure, on the road in Philly by clearly a better team who beat them three times. Like, I will take that as a Giants fan this season. I'll be rooting against the Eagles on Sunday for all the <laughs> obvious reasons. But, like, I, I've said this before on the year, I think I'd probably pick them to win because they just look absolutely dominant. Now, one of the questions that you just raised is, will Mahomes be at 100%? Will he be fully healthy? He was asked about this. 
by the media, so many media avails for these players in yeah. the weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. Here's what he said in cut 20. This is Mahomes. Yeah, I don't think you'll know exactly until you get to game day. Um, I'm definitely in a better spot. Uh, I mean, uh, I definitely can move around better than I, I was moving last week or two weeks ago. And so uh, it's just trying to continue to get the treatment and the rehab um, and get to as close as I can to 100% and then uh, rely on some adrenaline to let me do a little bit extra when I'm on the field. So it's going to be it's going to be uh, definitely better, more mobile, uh, be able to move around a little bit uh, better for sure. And then we'll see on game day how close to 100% I can be. I mean, reading between the lines there, it, it doesn't take, you know, an expert to basically assess that as Mahomes admitting that he's not going to be 100% because he keeps talking right. about trying to get as close as possible to 100% and then maybe have some of the adrenaline take over. I mean, it sounds like he's going to be banged up, and when he's the most valuable player on the field and clearly the most important player on that team, you know, who knows, maybe he's got some magic that he's going to pull out of his back pocket, but... That sounds like an answer that the Eagles are probably not too disappointed to hear, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, not to steal from Dan Fouts in the movie The Waterboy, but last game of the season, can't hold anything back. That's basically Patrick Mahomes' mantra mm-hmm. going into this game. He knows he's got to leave it all out there and deal with the ramifications in the offseason of any kind of injury. This is a guy who's all football all the time. You know, he really just portrays such great leadership out there, and he definitely wants to come through for his guys. But you know what? If you're the Eagles' defense, if you're Hassan Reddick, you're getting yourself geared up for chasing him down and making him have to run and forcing that ankle to do a lot of work to really make it a better day for the Philadelphia defense and possibly for the Eagles to come away with the Lombardi trophy. Yeah, because if Mahomes is hobbled even somewhat, that just takes the dynamism out of the Chiefs' offense. Not completely, but a good chunk of it right. is at least minimized at that point. And then the Eagles can sort of scheme accordingly. Uh, but we'll see. You know, maybe it's maybe it's a head fake. Maybe Mahomes knows that he's on the path to being 100% and he's going to show up and play at 100% and the Eagles will have to go back to the drawing board and say, uh-oh, this guy isn't hurt really at all. Yeah, two but- weeks rest doesn't hurt him here. So, you know, there's the possibility that he uh, is actually more well-rested and is not really preaching too many falsehoods in what he's talking about when it comes yep. to that ankle. Yep, and and he had some time there to recuperate, you know, uh, as you said, two weeks' worth of rest uh, to get healthy. Not bad news from the Chiefs' perspective. Meanwhile, the quarterback on the other side of the field, Jalen Hurts, uh, has just been absolutely dominant in these playoffs so far. Uh, they were asking him in a media avail what he thinks needs to be done in order for him to lead his team to the Super Bowl championship. His response, cut 21. And I just want to go out there and, and do what needs to be done to, to get this win. You know, you, you talk about games like this. This is a game where this is the last one. You know, this is the last one that this team will go out there and play together. We had our last Thursday practice today. You know what I mean? Little things like that resonate with us and, and with me. So besides anything else that'll come with it, you know, we all just want to go leave it all out on the line, let it all hang and um, do what we got to do. Now, Matt Napolitano, I know when you talk about over under in this context, it's usually about points. I'm curious, what would your over under be? Let's say I'll put it out there at 5,000 over under on the number of arrests in Philadelphia (laughs) after the game, regardless of outcome. Man, you are lowballing it there at 5,000. I'm going to go heavily with the over. They're already like putting the jet fuel on the poles again like they did years ago. You remember that when they had oh, to yeah. basically keep people from climbing up. So they were using jet fuel and lube and all these other things just to keep people from. I mean, you're going to have people punching police horses, awnings coming down, 
and that's before halftime. So we'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah, they were like after climbing the like the like the street signs and the lamp posts. It's just like people completely... were driving up the steps to the Rocky statue outside the art museum. Like, it, <laughs> you know, I, I love look. I love fandom. I love when people go nuts for their teams, but. Man, Philadelphia takes it to an umpteenth that even Bill's Mafia looks at you and goes, all right, guys, reel it in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, back it off. And as I said, it doesn't really matter what the outcome is, right, because they could do an angry riot or a happy riot uh, because that's what criminals do, and Philadelphia (laughs) sports fans are criminals. It's just something that I've mentioned. I'm very consistent on this point, and I occasionally get a note about it, but, you know, we tell the truth here on the show. Uh, We can maybe get your final pick for the Super Bowl at the end of the segment. Before we do that, though, just a quick diversion. Sticking in the NFL world, really, really cool. This is from the NFL Network. At an appearance at the NFL Honors, DeMar Hamlin gave a speech, gave some comments, and given what he went through in that extremely scary moment on the field in Cincinnati and really the entire professional football world rallying to his cause, praying for him, just showering him showering him and his family and even his charitable organization with so much love and support over these weeks. Just hearing from the man in public this way, I think is remarkable. Let's listen to Cut 18. First, I would like to just thank God for even being here. Every day, I am amazed that my experiences could encourage so many others across the country and even across the world. Encourage to pray, encourage to spread love, and encouraged to keep fighting, no matter the circumstances. Sudden cardiac arrest was nothing I would have ever chosen to be a part of my story. But that's because sometimes our own visions are too small, even when we think we are seeing the bigger picture. My vision was about playing in the NFL and being the best player that I could be. But God's plan was to have a purpose greater than any game in this world. Incredible. Just, just huge applause. It's just an amazing perspective I just get chills even listening to that. And he went on just a little bit further and cut 19. My entire life, I felt like God was using me to give others hope. And now with a new set of circumstances, I can only say he's doing what he's always done. I have a long journey ahead, a journey full of unknowns and a journey full of milestones. But it's a lot easier to face your fears when you know your purpose. And stirring words and, I mean, talk about a terrifying event. That is becoming such a feel-good story. Yeah. And listening to him speak with such clarity and conviction and sounding really good, it's just a wonderful thing. It's amazing to think from that night when he collapsed on the field, the devastation that so many of us felt watching that live and the worry and concern that overtook our lives for those next 24 to 48 hours. For this young man to now be on a national stage in a moment like that, to be surrounded by his caretakers, from the Bills, from the Bengals, from the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, all rallying around him and to see him thriving. I mean, you couldn't help but get choked up last mm-hmm. night in that moment to see him right there next to another uh, Bills, to a Bills legend in Jim Kelly, who's gone his, through his own share of health difficulties in the recent years, just to see them side by side and to see DeMar Hamlin just have that pedestal and have that moment to be recognized for everything he's been through and to just stare in the face of it, it, it really just brings chills, like you said. It's, it's remarkable. And there was, I would say, almost like a visceral response in the audience because some things just really transcend a game. Absolutely. And you could feel it just off the TV screen. It was so clear, the emotion in that room. And I just want to make sure that we spend a moment talking about it, even though the Bills won't be in the big game. They had a great season, not quite good enough. But that was one of the biggest stories in sports, period, 
in the last year plus. And so I just wanted the audience to hear those sound bites. Coming back to the gridiron, Matt Napolitano. All right, so as I mentioned, it is a Sunday evening tilt, Super Bowl Sunday in America, broadcast on Fox. These two very good teams, you know, on paper, pretty evenly matched in a lot of ways, which is why, as you said, the spread is, is tight. Who you got and why? You know, it does come down to Patrick Mahomes' ankle. You know, if that ankle is as good to go as he's claiming it is, it's looking good for KC. But with that said, the Eagles just have something that is driving them all season long that has made the equation just work. Seeing Jalen Hurts excel now as a quarterback, having the targets that he has with A.J. Brown and Dallas Goddard, seeing that offensive line really come together with Jordan Mailata and Jason Kelsey, I think the winner of this year's Kelsey Bowl is going to be the Philadelphia Eagles. It's going to be a 34-31 to game, and I think this one comes down to a field goal at the end from Jake Elliott. Wow. Okay. I mean, very specific. I'm just going to say I'm picking the Eagles to my own chagrin. And, you know, I've, I've beaten up on the Philadelphia sports community and their fans in I particular. heard the pain in your voice as you had to just say that out loud. I heard it. I, well, so gonna, I feel it's going to be even I more painful. It's gonna, listen to this. It's going to be even more painful for me to say this. And I hope I'm wrong. And I hope Kansas City gets to hoist the trophy and have the parade. And, and the, the riot in Philadelphia is a sad one. But I think the Eagles are going to win, and I don't think it's going to be that close. Really? I think that Mahomes is banged up, and I think the Eagles are going to win somewhat comfortably. That's my pick. I don't like it, but enjoy it, criminals. You're not going to get this kind of love from me very often, but just having, having watched the Eagles. And look, maybe, maybe the Giants really uh, overachieved this season and weren't good enough you know, in, in terms of talent to get to the point that they did in the postseason. And then you mentioned the 49ers were playing without really a quarterback for most of that game. So maybe the dominance of the Eagles has been sort of on the eye test deceiving. Right. But I don't know. I mean, they were so good all season, only faltering a little bit when Jalen Hurts was out for the most part. And he's back. He looks great. And I think they're going to win big. But we'll see as will many, many, many millions of people watching the broadcast on Fox and a ton of pregame festivities leading up. A lot of our Fox News colleagues are there doing programming from Arizona. So it's a big national shared American event, and uh, we'll be watching at our neighbor's house, a big party, lots of overreading, perhaps some Sunday fun day drinking as well. Uh, can't wait for that, Matt Napolitano. Uh, we'll see who's right. I mean, we're both picking the same way, but the, I guess the margin is the difference. Uh, and maybe we can circle back at some point and laugh about how the Chiefs proved us wrong. We shall see. Matt Napolitano, Fox News Radio anchor and reporter here on the Guy Benson Show with a Super Bowl preview. Matt, appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Guy. I will not sing Fly Eagles Fly. In fact, I'm doing the Tomahawk Chop, representing my rooting interests on Sunday. We'll step aside. We'll come right back. It's the happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Back here on the happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. And yes, I was a very happy camper last evening. I had a speaking engagement down in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's why I was there for a couple shows. And it was an evening event. And then I had a dinner. And I knew all day that that meant I was probably not going to be able to watch a fair amount of two important games. I'm a big sports fan, if you don't already know that. We just did a whole Super Bowl segment. If you're not a sports fan, we apologize. Back-to-back sports segments. Look, I make no apologies, actually. I rescind my apology. 
But my New Jersey Devils, NHL, hockey, they had a pretty big game against a good opponent in Seattle, home game at the Rock, and they've got their star injured, at least temporarily, the Devils do. My brother was going to the game. It's still early-ish in the season. They've just started the second half of the season, so not that big of a game. But Devils cracking in Newark. I was going to want to follow that one, and the Devils ended up squeaking out a 2-1 to victory. Actually, it was 3-1. to They tacked on an empty netter, so nice win for the Devils at home. But much more important was the Northwestern Wildcats basketball game at Ohio State, which is why, if you're listening on the broadcast, you heard our fight song bumping us in. Northwestern has had a shockingly good basketball season so far this year. They were expected to finish near the bottom of the conference. They are currently tied for second place near the top of the conference. No one saw this coming. I certainly did not. They were, again, according to the experts, going to be bad, and they are not. They are now 8-5 and five in Big Ten play, and the Big Ten is good. I think there's, what, 17-7 and seven overall, and the experts seem to think two more wins in Big Ten competition before the end of the season could be enough to get them solidly on the bubble or in to the NCAA tournament, which is something the school has only achieved once. This basketball program has only gone to March Madness once ever back in 16-17. That's it. Before that, they had never made it. Since then, they've been hugely disappointing, if not terrible. But I'm starting to believe, which scares me, Because when you believe, you have hope. And then the hope can get crushed. I'm already planning to try to get to one more home game over this final stretch. I'm like, oh gosh, am I going to be witnessing the collapse of the dream? Maybe. Maybe so. But I'm willing to take that risk. Because the team is playing well, they're good defensively, and it's been a fun ride so far. Defying all the expectations. Now beating the Buckeyes in Columbus last night. Number one Purdue rolling into Evanston on Sunday. That would just be gravy if they can pull that upset. Go Cats. Beat the Boilermakers. We'll be right back. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. It's the happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Last hour, we caught up with our good friend and colleague, Kat Timpf, of Gutfeld fame and much more, and boy, is she having herself a week. Some really exciting development. She's in a Super Bowl ad. She's got a book coming out that was just announced. We talked about all of it with Kat Timpf earlier. Here's part of that fun discussion. Congratulations on this project. I know we've been talking about it offline for a while now, but now the world knows. Yes, and and the world knows that the book exists. It's going to get even crazier, honestly, when the book comes out. Uh, and a lot, a lot of the things that I talk about in the book come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really do encourage people to pre-order, you know, for my sake, yes, but also for yours. Cause if you don't, when everybody's talking about some of this stuff, you're going to want the rest of the tea and you're going to be like, Oh no, I didn't pre-order it. Now I have to wait a couple of days to get the rest of this or that story that people are going to be talking about in the book because the book is, you know, a pro-free speech book. It is a pro-comedy book. It uh, makes the point that it's not only that we can joke about whatever we want, it's that we should joke about the darkest, 
uh, most traumatic, the stuff they tell you not to joke about is the stuff that we should be joking about the most because of the healing power that comedy provides and the way that it can bring us all together as human beings. Yeah, and I mean, you haven't shot away from this in your career. Mm-mm. You will sometimes say things that even make me sort of just, you know, uh, yes, uh, on the air about, you know, you, you lost your mother years ago. I did, and I did it will... again in today. I <laughs> did the show that will air tonight. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, so... and I yelled at the audience. They're like, oh, I was like, listen, like, you guys didn't all just kill her. Like, I already knew she was dead. She was dead before and after I said that. Like, also, like, I knew her and you didn't. So if this, like, helps me, let me have that. So, I mean, I'd imagine that will be a part of this book, plus yes. so much more. Yes. You Can't Joke About That by Kat Timpf. Her first book, April 18th, please do pre-order. Uh, you're going to want to hear some of this stuff. And I was watching the rollout of this announcement yes. on Gutfeld, and the way that you guys did it. This was my uh, idea. I yeah, had to have I, to take I, full credit for this. No, literally as soon as I saw it, I'm like, Kat absolutely came up with this yeah. because it's it's far too demented for it <laughs> yeah. to have been not Kat. Yes. Uh, here's what it sounded like. Here's how Greg rolled it out. Just listen to Cut 30. Story in five words. Kat is having a baby. By baby, I mean a new book. Yeah. (laughs) I made it about me. No. (laughs) This was harder to make than a baby. True. Also true. So the audience, bless their hearts, truly. (laughs) We're so happy for you. I know. And this outpouring of joy and applause. Oh, she's going to be a mother. And then it's just like, just kidding. She has a book for you to buy. Yes, a mother of a book. I I, I love some, switch. The, some of the tweets. Someone named Linda was like, "I really was hope. I really wish you were pregnant." And I'm like, Linda, if you're listening, I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you can buy my book. You on can pre-order buy my right book. Now. Yeah, like <laughs> babies are expensive. So if you want to have me to have a baby, then you gotta you gotta buy my book. But also, my favorite was somebody commented saying, "I was thinking about what should I make for your baby, but I guess I could knit a book cover." <laughs> <laughs> and the book cover, by the way, is awesome. Thank you. It is I because you showed it to me a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, this is very perfect, like super on brand. I'm pulling it up right now. It's cat in like a leather jacket, mm-hmm. and you're sitting there cross-legged on a coffin, correct? Holding like a stand-up comics microphone, and it's just sort of like drooping down because you're holding it by the wire. And it appears that you have a beer as well. Is yes, that a beer? yes, okay. it's also a beer. So that's the look, and you've got kind of um, how would you describe your facial expression here, cat? Is it? It's not really a scowl or a smirk. It's sort of it's in like between. whoops. It's like whoopsies. Yeah, this, did I you do know, that type thing? It, it's the face that I would make after somebody tells me you can't joke about that. Yep, and you and you just made the joke, and people are like throwing rotten fruit at you. Yeah, and you just don't care. Yes, That's the that is the facial expression. The one last thing I'll ask you, because of, of course, a I'm going to get the book. B we're going to talk about it at length on the air when of, it comes out in April. C we're going to just beat the drum relentlessly about pre-orders. But before we move on from the topic today, last night on Gutfeld, when you uh, revealed that, in fact, no, it's it's not a baby, it's a book, Greg was talking, this is a very weird way to to really promote a book, I would say, Uh, but it, it, again, works very well for you. Uh, He kept going on about how disgusting the book is. A chapter. He said one chapter in particular is truly disgusting. Yes. that's kind of that's kind of weird. That's a very strong word. Well, you, I, I mean, we're not unveiling what that chapter is about, 
but it's about something I went through that I, I think I might know. You know, yes, you know because because we're close friends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, like you were at my thirty person wedding. Like you know we're close friends. But <laughs> most people, even in my life, don't know that I went through this. And it's one of those things that I wrote about candidly. You know, I'm I'm walking the walk. I'm not just talking the talk. And I make mm-hmm. a lot of jokes. And, and jokes help get me through this experience, mm-hmm. which is truly disgusting. And you, everybody, this is one of the things where this, there probably will be headlines about the fact that this happened to me and I never told anybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're, it is truly disgusting, but people, you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to want to know more about it. <laughs> Greg told me he read that one chapter like six times maybe. I, there was a while when I shared some of, you know, the book with him and, you know, some of the editing stages. And he, I, I would ask him, what is he doing? He'd be like, I'm reading chapter six again. <laughs> So that's also a very strange commentary on him because he was going on and on about how gross and disgusting it is, and yet he can't get enough of it. He's like, hang on, I'm going to go read this for a seventh time. Yes. Just just for blanks and giggles, so to speak. My full interview with Kat Timpf, available at GuyBensonShow.com, part of our podcast, the whole show, start to finish, on demand, totally free, GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget about Bonus Benson. Over the weekend. When we come back, it's the home stretch on a Friday. Usually, the Friday home stretch is the most ridiculous and silliest of all of the home stretches because we are in a giddy mood heading into the weekend. I'm going to go a slightly different direction when we come back. I want to pay tribute to someone in my life that we just recently lost. And it's a story of an incredible life that you're going to want to hear. And it's next. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show on this Friday. Thank you for listening. Almost the weekend together. I want to do things a little bit differently here in our final segment together this week by paying tribute to someone that our family lost recently. I wanted to talk about this at some point. She passed away actually late last month. But I decided to wait until today because tomorrow she is being laid to rest. We'll be attending the funeral in the morning. There's a reception later on. Anne McLaughlin Corologos died at the age of 81 on January 30th, 2023. She died in Salt Lake City, Utah, due to complications from meningitis. She is the beloved wife, this is from the Washington Post obituary, of former U.S. Ambassador Tom Corologos. And just a quick note on that. She was previously married, actually, to John McLaughlin of the McLaughlin Group, for a long time, political nerds and folks who watched that TV program back in the day. But years ago, they had separated. She married Tom, who was President George W. Bush's ambassador to Belgium. I was actually an intern in the Bush administration when Tom came back home from that post, and he and Anne threw a party. It was at the Belgian embassy. And it was just a very cool event for me to have attended. They were very kind to invite me along. And 
Tom is a very well-known attorney in D.C. with an incredible pedigree in his own right. He was heavily involved, for example, in the preparation of Justice Antonin Scalia leading up to his confirmation hearings. Of course, we all know Scalia went on to have one of the most renowned careers in that realm in the history of the court, at least in my opinion. So they were, in every sense, a D.C. power couple. Anne, who just passed away, was labor secretary under President Reagan from 1987 to 1989. She was in the presidential cabinet. And not just any presidential cabinet, Ronald Reagan's. How badass is that? She served as assistant secretary to the U.S. Department of Treasury and as deputy secretary at the U.S. Department of Interior. She has served on multiple corporate boards, including the Rand Corporation, the Aspen Institute, She chaired the President's Commission on Aviation Security and Terrorism in response to the Lockerbie bombing in 1988. She also owned an art gallery in Colorado. She lived an absolutely amazing life. I mean, you just listen to the titles alone of some of the jobs that she held. She was widely known, widely liked in D.C., a great conservative. She was always so beautiful and so elegant. Now, I'm related to her in some way, and we had all these conversations almost joking about it. She was born and raised in New Jersey. She used to babysit for my mother. We basically finally just settled on she's my great aunt, and it's sort of like complicated looking at the whole tree. We just said, great aunt, does that sound good? Sounds good to me? Great. So Ann Korologos was my great aunt. And we would occasionally speak on the phone. We would exchange emails. We would see each other from time to time. And she was just always so encouraging and so kind and so supportive. She and Tom were invited to our wedding. They couldn't make it. And I remember she was heartbroken, very apologetic. And they offered incredibly kindly, very generously, to host a post-wedding party at their club here in D.C., like a few months later. And boy, it was a beautiful party. It was so nice and so classy, and my parents came down for it. A lot of my friends in D.C., some of Adam's friends in D.C. were there. And then there was also kind of a who's who. They were there to help celebrate us and our marriage and all of that, no question about it. But I think, given who was hosting the party, that might have helped the cause for Secretary Pompeo and his wife to come. Robert O'Brien, the National Security Advisor, and his wife to come. Just a very memorable evening, and Anne gave a lovely toast. My favorite story about Anne, and I'll just tell this briefly in the time that we have remaining, and it actually arises from an embarrassment, an embarrassment to me, which was when we bought our house, this was now years ago, was it 2018, 2017, we had a big housewarming party when it was finally ready to sort of, you know, hey, We're here. Come on and and help us celebrate. We threw a little party. Anne and Tom were invited. And it was completely my error when I sent them the email inviting them to this party. I transposed the street number address from my previous address in a condo and the new house. So I gave them a half-wrong address, which, of course, is completely useless. It becomes a totally wrong address. 
And they, and I feel so bad to this day, they drove around for like an hour trying to find this party. And it wasn't such a small party because I was so distracted, chatting with so many people. I didn't look at my phone. I had missed all these phone calls. I felt so guilty about it. So I promised them. I called them back. I said, I am just devastated. I am embarrassed. (laughs) Can we please make this up to you? Will you please come over for a drink, and then we will take you to dinner in our neighborhood, please? They said, yes, of course. No worries. This type of thing happens. I mean, they had, they had gotten the police involved trying to find the house. I mean, I, I really, I feel so uncomfortable even talking about it. It's just one of those things where I just close my eyes. I can't believe I made that mistake. Anyway, a few weeks later, just the two of them, they came over, and they had a drink. We walked around the corner to one of our favorite little neighborhood restaurants. And our favorite bartender was working sort of the section of seats where we had been seated in those tables. And Adam and I had ordered one of our favorite cocktails, which is called a Gold Rush. And it's bourbon-based. It's delicious, especially in the cold months. Highly recommend. Check out the Gold Rush. So we ordered our Gold Rush, and our bartender knew exactly what that was because we would order it, you know, not infrequently. And Tom was sort of intrigued by this. He said, now, what's a Gold Rush? And so we explained it to him. We were talking about how good it is. And he was uh, interested in ordering a Gold Rush, but Anne was having none of it. She just gave him a look. She said, you don't need that. So that was the answer. Tom was not going to get a gold rush. So then she ordered, rather elaborately, a martini. And she explained exactly how she wanted it. It was very highly specific. I remember she wanted it ice cold. And she specifically said, I would like shards of ice floating on the top of this drink. On top of the cocktail. That's the way I want this martini. Yes, right away, ma'am. So he goes back, he makes the drinks, and he returns a few minutes later with a gold rush for me, a gold rush for Adam, a martini with shards of ice floating for Anne, and for Tom, as a very nice little generous move, he had made a mini gold rush in a shot glass. So just like one taste of it for Tom, who clearly wanted to try it, but Anne had sort of shot the idea down. So Ali, our bartender, had said, here, here you go, you get a taste of it. And we were delighted by this, and we were talking about it, and we were sipping our gold rushes, and we were watching Tom drink and his reaction, and he really liked it. And we were having a great time. Anne was highly skeptical and sort of rolling her eyes at us this whole time. Like, you silly, silly men. And then when the hubbub and our excitement had died down, there was just a a little pause of silence. And she just said, her voice dripping with exaggerated disdain, I've always found pure alcohol to be preferable, and took a giant gulp (laughs) of her martini. And it was like the comedic timing was incredible. I lost it. I've been quoting her for years on that. What a perfect thing to say. It had strong Lucille Bluth vibes. And if you know... Me, you know that I'm a Lucille Bluth fan, Arrested Development, Jessica Walter. I mean, it was, it had this intense Lucille energy there. And whenever I order a Gold Rush to this day, I still think about that. And that evening, we had such a wonderful time with them, 
just the four of us, and I think we had so much more quality time with them because it wasn't part of a giant party, although I'm still so sorry that they missed it. But it was just this special relationship where I can count on two hands the number of times I actually physically visited with Ann and Tom, and yet I always felt this great kinship and closeness to them. And I am just heartbroken for Tom losing Ann. I know that she had fallen ill uh, weeks prior, and we'd all been praying for her, and, and ultimately she just couldn't pull through. So after 81 years and a truly incredible American life so accomplished in the Gipper's cabinet, for crying out loud, Ann Coralogos died last month, and she will be set in her final resting place tomorrow. Our heart goes out to Tom, other members of the family, and I will definitely miss my great aunt. With that, we're out of time. Thank you for listening. It's the Guy Benson Show back here next week. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll talk to you then. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.